for our Lord. And Lord, we recognise that what we have here and what's gone directly through bank accounts is just a small token of what we owe you uh, for all that you give us. But we pray that you'd use it and use it for the extension of your kingdom, both here at Holy Trinity, in Norwich and further afield. And we pray now, as we come to look at your words, uh, that you would speak to us loud and clear and help us to, show, to, help us to see how we can live for you uh, in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Well, I wonder if you uh, know this story. There's an old story of a police officer who's apparently sitting his final promotion exams. And this is the question that he turned over uh, on his exam paper and uh, was asked to give an answer to. And I wonder what you would say in response to this question. Uh, The question went, uh, you're on patrol when a gas main explodes in a nearby street. On investigation, you discover that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and a van has overturned. The two occupants are injured and there is a strong smell of alcohol. A passing motorist stops to give assistance and you realise that he is wanted in connection with a recent armed robbery. Suddenly a man runs out of one of the houses shouting that his wife has just gone into labour as a result of the explosion. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion. Bearing in mind that all relevant laws and statutes outline what course of action you would take. (laughs) Fine body of men are police. Apparently the policeman's answer was this. I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) I don't know if that story is true, but my guess is that if we're Christians, we can sympathise with the answer that that policeman gave. Because I reckon all of us have felt that pull to take off our Christian uniform and mingle in with the crowds. But actually, if we're the followers of Jesus this evening, then we're called to be different. Not different as in different weird, but different as in walking in the way that Jesus walks. We're called to be distinctive. We're called to show the distinctiveness of the kingdom of God. In the middle of a culture that has turned its back on God, that does not know him, that is going in the opposite direction. Uh, If you've been with us over the last few weeks at Holy Trinity, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series looking at how the gospel affects us in the workplace. And I think one of the main areas in which we feel this tension is, of course, our workplaces. It's one of the places where most of us will spend a a significant proportion uh, of our time, for a start. Uh, Unless we work in a Christian office or for a Christian organisation, it's going to be a place where we're regularly encountering uh, non-Christians. And we will find ourselves rubbing up against the culture uh, in a way that perhaps uh, in other places we don't. So it begs the question... How are we to be distinctive in our workplaces? How can we influence the culture of our workplaces uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the passage that we're going to look at this evening, the passage that uh, we had uh, read for us, is from Jesus' most famous teaching, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Somebody has called it the jewel in the crown of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Essentially, it's the manifesto of Jesus' kingdom. It's his kind of charter for how life is to be in the kingdom 
of God. And I think in these verses, Jesus uses two pictures to teach us two ways in which we're called to be distinctive and how we're called to influence our workplaces and our world uh, for him. The first way is we are to be involved in preserving our workplaces. Preserving our workplaces. And we can see that from verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Well, we live in an age, don't we, where salt gets a very bad press. We're always told that we uh, eat too much of it and we should uh, eat less of it. But in Jesus' day, it was a very highly valued uh, commodity. In fact, there was a Roman writer who used to say that there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sun. I think you might agree with the second part of that. Sun is pretty useful, isn't it? I'm not so sure about salt, but there we are. It was very, very highly valued. And when Jesus is talking about salt here... He was talking about something that everybody knew and everybody valued. In particular, salt in Jesus' day was associated in people's minds with with, with three things, essentially. Uh, Firstly, it was associated with purity. So in the Old Testament, uh, God's people, when they offered sacrifices, uh, would offer salt along with it. And it was a kind of reminder of God's purity and the purity that he called them to as well. Um, the, the psalmist uh, prayed that God would create in him a pure heart. And of course, Jesus, if we'd been reading from the start of the Sermon on the Mount, has just prayed, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. And salt was associated with this idea of being pure, with being holy. It was also associated with flavour. That's probably the way in which we most associate it uh, today. Uh, I would imagine, isn't it? Just as uh, today, salt would often be added to food to give it some taste, to give it a bit of flavour. Uh, most food tastes a bit better with salt, which is why we keep adding it, don't we? Even though we know it's not very good for us. Uh, you add a dash of salt, and, and, it, and it permeates through the whole uh, dish. It makes it taste better. It penetrates the food. Salt was kind of associated with flavour. But most of all, Salt was associated with preserving things. Uh, In the days of Jesus, this was before refrigeration had been invented, and the only way of keeping meat fresh was to rub salt into it. The salt, when it's rubbed in, kills the bacteria, and it stops the food uh, from rotting. We still do that in some cultures today as well, don't we? If you've ever been to South Africa, you'll probably know about biltong. It's the same kind of idea. You rub salt into into the meat, it stops it uh, going rotten. Uh, Salt, when it's rubbed in, prevents decay and it preserves things. What did Jesus have in mind when he was calling his followers the salt of the earth? Well, I think probably he had all three associations, all those three of those those things in, in, in his mind. Because the call on the people of God has always been a call to be pure. That call that echoes throughout the Old Testament. God says, be holy. As I am holy. God wants a holy people uh, for his own treasured possession. And of course, through the work of the Lord Jesus, dying on the cross, uh, through the gift of a new heart by his Holy Spirit, uh, that call has become a reality in the people of God. We are a pure people in God's sight. We're also a people who are called to penetrate our world, to get involved, to season every part of it with the flavour of the gospel. We sometimes say, don't we, that Christians are supposed to be in the world, but not of it. 
And we are. We're not supposed to be kind of hived off in a, in a holy huddle. We're supposed to be in the world and getting involved in every part of it, uh, seasoning it with the good news of Jesus. Uh, not sitting apart uh, on a shelf, but in the dish. But we're also called not only to flavour our world, but to preserve it, to stop it from going totally rotten. Uh, somebody's written this, which I found this week, and I thought it was quite, quite appropriate. Uh, if our world is in the soup, then that is where the salt needs to be. Bit cheesy. If our world is in the soup, then that is where the salt needs to be. Uh, in a world which has turned its back on God and is rapidly decaying, then we are called as the salt of the earth by Jesus to stop the rot, to get involved. And I guess our workplaces will be one place where this is most needed. Uh, If we're part of a rotting world, a decaying world, a world that's turned its back on God uh, and is in bondage to decay, as the scriptures tell us that it is, then we shouldn't be surprised when our workplaces are full of the effects of our sin and rebellion and rottenness. Uh, So we will see, for example, workplace bullying, where we have bosses misusing their power and misusing their positions to make other people's lives a misery. We should expect that. We will see people cooking the books or fiddling with the figures in order to make the accounts look a little bit better than they really are. We will see the office night out finish up with a drunken visit to a lap dancing club. We live in a rotten world. That will mean rotten work. And yet, in the midst of this, Jesus calls us to be salt. To be the people who get stuck into our work, to flavour it with the good news of Jesus, to make a difference. We are the ones who are to treat people fairly. We're the ones who are called to act with integrity, even when it's tempting uh, to go the way uh, that everyone else is going, to fiddle the figures. Uh, to, to, to lie our way out of trouble. We are the ones who are to refuse to share in the drinks, to uh, refuse to share in the strippers. We are to be salt in the workplace, just as in the rest of the world. And yet, says Jesus, there's a warning here, isn't there? And I wonder if you picked that up in our reading. He says if we lose our saltiness, if we lose our distinctiveness, then we also lose our effectiveness. If we're no different from the rest of the world, if we're no different from our colleagues, then we'll have no influence. Being salt, being a a preservative, preserving uh, our culture, depends on being different. Being different and penetrating our world with the gospel. I think one Christian in the public eye who kind of demonstrates this, uh, at least in, in some ways, is uh, Dan Walker, the BBC breakfast presenter. You might have uh, remember a few months ago when he was appointed, there was a massive storm in the media about how the BBC could be so witless to appoint a, an evangelical Christian uh, to, uh, to, to present BBC breakfast television. But I was particularly impressed in the way that he stood firm uh, in, uh, in the middle of that storm. Uh, he publicly stated his belief that he believed that God created the world and calls us uh, to obey him. Apparently, he's been asked, not to, he's asked uh, specifically not to be rated on Sundays for work in order that he can uh, go with his family and share in, uh, in worship 
as part of his church family on Sundays. He is being distinctive, I think, in a culture uh, which, uh, w- w- where, where so often the gospel is not seen. That's one example, and I guess we probably think of lots of, uh, of others that might come to mind as well. That's what it looks like for Dan Walker. But I want to ask us the question, what might it look like for you to be salt in your work context? Uh, what will it look like? Maybe it is just as simple as only claiming back what you're owed for uh, on your expenses. Uh, maybe it's taking a stand on the night out, being the only one who says, look guys, I'm, I'm not happy with this, and this isn't the way it should be. Well, whatever it is, Jesus calls us to be salt and preserve our workplaces uh, for the gospel. That's the first way Jesus calls us to be distinctive. It is to be uh, at work preserving. Uh, The second way that Jesus uh, calls us to be distinctive is by proclaiming. By proclaiming. And we see that from verses 14 and Jesus' second illustration. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think most of us like being paid a compliment, uh, even if we don't always know how to uh, deal with it and how to respond to it. Uh, Somebody has said that this description that Jesus gives of his friends here is one of the biggest compliments that he ever paid. Uh, Because in it, he gives a description of us that is a description that he used about himself. Uh, you'll remember that Jesus said that he was the light of the world. And that's exactly how he describes his friends here. He says, we are, we are also the light of the world. Of course, by ourselves, in and of ourselves, we, we, we're as dark as the rest of the world. Uh, we, don't, uh, we, 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 uh, we don't give off light in and of ourselves. But when we know Jesus, the light of the world, then we are able to reflect his light We're able to shine in the middle of the darkness with the truth of his word. And Jesus says we proclaim him as Lord by shining as the light of the world. Uh, Just as uh, with the picture of salt, Jesus is using kind of language and ideas and pictures that uh, the the, the original listeners would have been very familiar with. Uh, The Old Testament often speaks about God's people uh, about the, uh, Jerusalem being a light to the Gentiles, that is a light to the kind of the non-Jewish world, a distinctive light for the truth of uh, the one true God. Uh, the Bible, the, the God's word, is described, isn't it, in the Psalms as being a lamp unto our feet. There's this kind of uh, theme running through the scriptures of light being this idea associated with truth. It's not surprising, I think, then, that Jesus describes us we're his followers as the light in a dark world. Because, of course, we are the people who know his truth. If we've understood the good news about Jesus Christ, coming to earth, dying in our place, and rising again, and being Lord, then we've understood his truth. It's transformed us. We know his truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth about what God's word says about ourselves, and about what God has done for us. And therefore, we're called to shine And just as a city on a hill, if you put it on a hill and it's a dark night, can be seen for miles around, so Jesus says Christians are also called to be seen and in turn to bring that light uh, to others. What I think is surprising, though, is how Jesus says we are to shine as lights. And you can see that in uh, verse uh, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men, 
that they may see your good deeds. Uh, I guess we might assume that if uh, we shine by speaking to people directly about Jesus, so telling them about Jesus, evangelism, uh, if you want to use kind of Christian jargon. And that is true. I know it's true because the Bible says it's true. So you're thinking uh, that Paul's words to the Philippians, he encourages them to shine like stars as they hold out the word of life. So they're shining as they hold out the good news of Jesus uh, to the world around them. But I think here, Jesus, whilst he did have that in mind, it seems to me his focus here is on our actions rather than just our words. He says, doesn't he, very distinctly, that we are to shine by our good deeds. Yes, what we say is important. Let's not get that that wrong. It's absolutely vital that we tell the world with all we've got about what Jesus has done for us. But it's equally important that we back up our lips with our lives. Because it's in our lives, it's in our actions, that people see the good news of Jesus worked out in practical reality. When I was ordained, uh, an old vicar said to me, uh, Will, they'll probably remember who you are more than what you say. (laughs) It's quite humbling, actually. Every uh, young vicar, every curate thinks that everyone wants to hear their brilliant uh, dissections of the scriptures and wants to hear their preaching. uh, And it's quite humbling to be told that. But I think he was right. I hope my preaching has had an effect in some way. But actually, I'm sure that what people remember, more, more importantly, is what they see in my everyday life. And I think that's the idea that Jesus is getting at here. Uh, what, we, uh, what we say is important, but what we do is equally important, if not sometimes even more so. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? So what are these good deeds that Jesus is talking about? Uh, what are these actions that we can take in order to be the light of the world in our uh, workplaces and in our community? Uh, I guess there are lots of ways in which we could probably answer that question. Uh, But perhaps the best starting point is to think about Jesus, to think about what he said, and to think about what he did. Uh, I said at the start, this uh, this, uh, little passage that we're looking at this evening is part of a bigger passage uh, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is really kind of the apex of Jesus' teaching. It's, It's kind of the most systematic teaching that Jesus gave about the Christian life and what it looks like. Uh, Jesus lays out the pattern for us. Uh, and He covers all kinds of different areas. And one thing that stands out from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is just how radically countercultural it is. In fact, there's a commentary that's been written about it, and, and the subtitle is Christian Counterculture. It is radically countercultural to the way that our world works. Uh, So, for example, Jesus says that we're not only to avoid murder, I guess most people in our culture would go along with that, fine, but actually we're to avoid anger itself as well. Jesus says it's not just enough uh, to not sleep around, but he says that actually uh, we're to not even think about it either. Uh, To fantasize is to go too far. He says that we're to uh, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So many in our world would say, why would you bother? If you've got nothing else of that, why would, you, why would you want to love and pray for those uh, who persecute you who are against us? Jesus tells us to, gener- to be generous to those in need, even if they uh, have no hope of repaying it. Radically counter-cultural. Jesus tells us we're to seek the kingdom above everything else, above uh, money, sex, power, you name it. Jesus says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given uh, unto you. 
It is radically countercultural stuff. That is the word of Jesus to his people. But of course, Jesus didn't just say those things, he did them as well. He modeled it perfectly, whether it was in private with his disciples, with his closest friends, or whether it was out in public uh, with the crowds. Uh, Despite the efforts of the authorities to discredit Jesus, they they could find nothing on him. Uh, Even those who put him to death admitted that he had done nothing wrong. He was an innocent man condemned to death on a cross. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He loved those who persecuted him. He even prayed for them as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He set the captives free. And it was because Jesus' disciples uh, followed his example that that tiny movement of Jesus' followers was transformed in just a matter of decades into the dominant transforming force in the Western world. Uh, One historian has uh, described it uh, like this. Uh, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of human beings than Jesus Christ. For from that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a more powerful force for the triumphal waging of man's long battle than any other known by the human race. No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of human beings than Jesus Christ. And when the followers of Jesus follow his example, and they proclaim his kingdom both in words and also in deeds, then the effect is extraordinarily powerful. It was said of the early Christians when they were uh, in Thessalonica. They turned the world upside down. And that has always been true when the people of God have taken that call seriously. The world is turned on its head as, uh, as, as the world sees the counterculture of the gospel. And what is true, friends, in our wider world is also true in our workplaces. When we shine for Jesus in our workplaces... God is pleased by his Holy Spirit to use it to bring transformation. It it may be that it just involves a kind word to a colleague who is desperately hurting. Maybe they've lost somebody and nobody else in the office seems to bat an eyelid. But we're the ones who just have a kind word for them and the offer of some encouragement. Uh, Maybe it's an active decision to forgive somebody on your team who has let you down. And they've let you down really badly and they've done it yet again. And everyone else on the team is saying, you know, get even with them. Don't get mad. Wait, get even. And it's a conscious decision to say, no, I'm actually going to forgive them. I'm going to let it go and uh, entrust that to the Lord. Maybe it's a few minutes just to answer one of your colleagues' questions about that Jesus bloke that you're always going on about. Maybe it's giving up a lunch hour to uh, read through one of the Gospels with them as they're seeking to understand whether Christianity has got anything meaningful to say to them today. But we know, whatever it is, when Christians are the light of the world, uh, we shine with the light of hope into a hopeless place. We shine with the light of grace, don't we, into a graceless place. We shine with the light of love into a loveless place. Because we proclaim the hope, the grace and the love that is at the heart of Christianity that was displayed on the cross as Jesus died uh, in our place. And when the world sees that light... Uh, displayed in the presence, in, in, the, in, the, in the lives of uh, Jesus' followers, 
Jesus promises that it will turn to our Father and praise him in heaven. What a wonderful thing to be a result of our living for Jesus' faith in our workplaces. That our colleagues, our our friends, uh, those people we work with who don't yet know him would be uh, transformed into followers of Jesus. They would bow the knee to him and give him the praise and the glory that he deserves. Friends, Jesus calls us not to take off our Christian uniform, but to wear it proudly. To be distinctive, to be salt and light in our workplaces and in our world. Preventing decay, but also proclaiming his grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's pray, shall we, that by his grace we'd be worthy of that calling. We'd wear our uniforms proudly, that our colleagues might see Jesus in our lives and join us uh, at his praise uh, for all eternity. Let's pray. Well, we do know that so often we uh, want to take off our uniforms. Uh, We don't like being distinctive for you. We'd rather blend in. And yet we know that that is what you're calling us to be this evening. Uh, We pray that by your spirit you would help us to be salt and light. Yes, in our workplaces, but also in our wider world. And we pray that as we do so, not only would we prevent our culture from getting worse, but we pray that more positively we would shine a light for you. And that those who don't yet know you would bow the knee to you. That they would join us in worshipping you as uh, the the one true God. uh, The one who deserves all honour and glory. And we pray this for your glory and by your Son. Amen.